Hello, listeners. We wanted to let you know that during this episode, we experienced a few technical difficulties with the recording coming from our guest speaker. We appreciate you guys being patient with us as we continue to learn how to do remote broadcasting, and we know everything will come through clearly enough to hear what Adam is saying, but there might be a few moments where you hear um, glitches or ambient noise in the background. We appreciate you sticking with us, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Mutuality Matters, Gender Theology for the Gospel Empowerment of Men and Women. I am Erin Moniz, here with my co-host Blake Dean, and special guest Adam Hubert. Adam is a teacher living in Greensboro, North Carolina. He is an activist, a gardener, a coach of many, many sports, and an alum of Berry College. We are so, so glad to have him. And um, Adam, we're going to have you kind of start us off, uh, say hello, and then tell us something that you're watching, reading, or listening to currently. What's up, all you uh, podcast listeners? Uh, I am currently, I just finished a book, actually, in this season. Um, I wanted to not just listen to podcasts and music all day. So I got Audible because there was like a free trial. And um, I just finished a book. It's a young adult fiction book called The Age of Miracles. And basically the plot is uh, the earth is knocked off its axis uh, just slightly. And so all these traumatic things start happening in the world. And just basically like how this middle school girl processes, like just being a middle schooler, but also traumatic things happening. It's very timely for what's going on right now. Yeah, you're processing chaos with more chaos. It's weird. <laughs> I could give you a list of other things that I've done that are very similar to that, but that's definitely what I've been doing. You're like one of those people that's going to watch like Outbreak and Contagion and stuff that they've put on Netflix just just because just because of COVID. Not quite, but when it first broke out, I did watch I Am Legend. I'm not going to lie. Stop okay. it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Dystopian future. It's all good. Awesome. All right, Blake, what about you? Well, I I have not listened to it yet, but this is what I will be listening to. So it's not uncommon knowledge if you've listened to any, pretty much any other episode that I just talk about Nina Simone a lot. And so her estate just put out um, a lost album of hers um, called Fodder on My Wings. So I'm very excited to listen to like the remastered and recut album by Nina Simone. Whomst I love. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. What about you, Aaron? Oh, gosh. Um, I will say that I have been listening to a lot of the brilliance. I'd never really gotten into them, but I find their music kind of calming <laughs> and mm. nice during this time, especially um, there's an album that came out uh, right around the 2016 election. And a lot of it is dealing with justice issues. And it's just really, it's beautiful and, and poetically put. I can't remember exactly the name of the album, but the first cut is mm-hmm. Welcome to the Darkness. And while that seems very somber, it's actually really well done. Um, and they talk a lot about immigration. But again, it's all like musically and lyrically brilliantly done, which is, I guess, why they call themselves the brilliance. But that's what I've been listening to lately. So um, those recommendations to our quarantined listeners. Um Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, We are, again, so excited to be having another guest on the podcast. And uh, so, Adam, I mentioned a couple things about you, but if you could just fill in the gaps for us, just what are you doing in North Carolina? Um, What's what's kind of your typical day look like? Tell us about yourself. 
Yeah, so I moved to Greensboro, North Carolina in the summer of 2017, so a couple months after I graduated college. I was brought here by Greensboro Fellows Program, which is a part of the Fellows Initiative, uh, which is like a Christian discipleship uh, development program for recent college grads. During that time, I uh, got I interned at the school that I'm now hired at, um, initially in the humanities department and doing some PE stuff. And then I got brought on full time to teach science, which was a journey. Um, but the Lord has really like opened my eyes and just done a lot of really cool work. Um, and it's I don't think I could be in a more perfect situation. So, you know, my daily schedule looks like I teach science and it's a very hands on approach. So we do a lot of gardening. We try to do an activity or experiment each day in class and then um, also coach after school sports. And so we're a really small school. And so we're in like in this independent sports league where each sport is only a month long, um, which gives me the ability to do that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and will you list those sports for us that you coach? Yeah. So my first year or two years ago, I coached five sports. So cross country, soccer, flag football, volleyball, and basketball. And then this year I gave up volleyball because I learned quickly. I was like, this is a disaster. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's great. And I think next year I'm only going to coach through. So just knocking one down every year. There you go. There you go. For those of you who are already fans of Adam Hubert, you know that he played football here at Barry College and was part of that starter class. Um, so yeah, your athleticism, you know, precedes you. Um, but awesome. Awesome, Adam. That's, that's, that's very cool. Um, now, one of the things that our listeners may not know is that um, when you were an undergrad, you started um, a new ministry working through the chaplain's office. And we, mm-hmm. we've had John Huggins on here before, and we've talked a little bit about the fact that we're all associated with, uh, with that department. Um, but in, in sort of engaging some of the topics we want to hit today, can you tell us a little bit about that ministry and what prompted you to start it and what, what was kind of behind all that? Yeah, so... Um, I, like Aaron was saying, I started off working in the chaplain's office just through a scholarship program at Barry, and uh, Aaron prompted me with sort of like, what's something that you're kind of passionate about and gave me an initiative and time to think about it. Um, and I think at that time, I was really interested in like, what is biblical manhood? And so I remember one summer, I ordered like five books, read them all, um, also, I was just a fan of Christian hip hop, and a lot of the stuff that I listened to in um, high school was, you know, definitely a part of sort of the like Piper and Driscoll sort of like trying to mm. uplift and um, push men to be great. And so I think I kind of came into college with that mindset, but I think I quickly <laughs> was learning. I was just challenged in a lot of ways and things that I thought uh, were biblical manhood. And so it was just something I was wrestling with is like, well, what if I just created a community like where I can. Like it's safe and open to process these things um, with other men. And so I was like, hey, Aaron, can I start this men's ministry? We don't really have it. But like, it's not like, you know, your typical, you know, we're going to go out hunting men's group, um, which, you know, hunting's not bad. I enjoy hunting and fishing. But uh, I, I really wanted to like unpack, like what, what does it mean to be just a man, but also like what does biblical manhood look like? And we started men's ministry and it started off with just being a ministry. I think we started for like seven guys and we met in a living space at Barry for a year. 
And uh, I think by the time I graduated, like we were having like 15 people show up to meetings um, and it's still going on and it's cool to see, uh, you know, just the numbers and just not even the numbers, but just you can, I've, I've had her testimonies of guys that came in and it kind of has become this place. I don't think I was even intending for it to be this, but it's really cool. It's just this place where men, I think that don't typically fit the stereotypical like depiction mm. of what man is like a safe place for them to come like well i'm a man and i want to like process this stuff but yeah there's not a space for me mm. so what would you say kind of just jumping into like the discussion of biblical manhood because that on on one end like on face value that's something that we um all want to know and want to understand um male and female alike right we want to um submit ourselves to it scripture has for us but on the other end of the spectrum this kind of becomes like a loaded phrase and has certain like implications embedded in it so what um what do you think um what do you think we're getting wrong about biblical manhood first and then maybe how would you in your current place in your current um what you're learning right now how would you define biblical manhood right now i've it's kind of funny. So also going back to what you're watching, I've recently started watching King of the Hill, which I know is like the most random thing. And I don't, you know, it's, it's picture me to watch it, but it's actually kind of interesting because the whole like underlying premise of the show is, is just this guy who's raising this middle-class family, but like the culture around him is changing. Um, and so he's being forced mm. to sort of like navigate through that space. Um, he, and he himself is challenged by, Oh, I believe this thing, but like my son believes this or my wife thinks this. Um, and so I think that's kind of like in that same vein, that's sort of how my college experience started off. Like, I think a lot of what I thought of biblical manhood was like, there's some like bravado-ness to it. Like, oh, I play sports and like, I'm going to have a girlfriend or somebody have a wife and like, I'm going to protect her and I'm going to be the provider. And there's a level too, like when I was in college, like, well, like, legally i'm a man and biologically pretty much i'm a man and i can't do any of things i could play sports cool but what about the people that don't play sports are they less like because they don't have the athleticism does that make them less of a man um and then like you i started like really looking at scripture and then jesus was our picture of like what does it mean to walk out humanity and more specifically in this context like manhood like, like jesus was the less like no bravado about him at all and so i was like i don't know i just really was like wrestling with those things um and so i think that to answer your first question of what do i think we get wrong i think at least what i was introduced to in high school and early college just like the bravado and like sort of like arrogance and pride in a lot of ways i don't know if people are openly call it that but that's like i look back like that's sort of what it felt like it's like oh, i'm a biblical man i, I do these things um what was your second question, sorry? Yeah, so how would you maybe roughly define it now? I know that's a big question, but in a rough sketch. Yeah, that is a, that is a tough question. I think, again, like in a rough sketch, and this is like, sounds like the Sunday school answer, but I was like, like, let's like, look at the life of Jesus. What are the things that Jesus did? For me, like one of the things that stands out is like, Jesus is like, walking with truth and justice like he's going to tell the truth but he's also like seeking to bring justice to people around him he's he's trying to reconcile relationships he's trying to reconcile you know his relationship with the earth like all these things and 
I think once I started like encountering that, it's like, oh yeah, like that's, I think this podcast is perfect, right? Because those things don't just pertain to men. <laughs> like it's something mm. just humans have to do. Um, and I think there are definitely are like specific challenges to women and to men. But at the end of the day, like we, we are human and like Jesus has called us to this, this greater call that we all are supposed to follow. Yeah. Two of my favorite on that point, two of my favorite moments of Jesus that I think kind of just pushes back against any of our more cultural imports of manhood is one where he um, is crying out over Jerusalem and wishes he was um, a hen and could gather them under his wing, which is just a deeply maternal image. Um, And uh, additionally, like when the beloved disciple is laying on the chest of Jesus, like that's not, um, wouldn't be particularly acceptable in certain ways for our visions of biblical manhood. So I think it's cool to watch both maybe how he sets a new example, but also how he challenges our current one as well. I think you're dead on on that. I'll also add this. It just came to mind. Um, I think also just people that I kind of lofted as like, these are like men or examples that I just were kind of given um, where like they just crumbled when I was in college. One of them being Bill Cosby. Um, Like I grew up watching the Cosby show. Like, I mean, before then, like he was, at least for, I think, um, black context was like, this is what it is to be like, you know, a black man, at least from a Cosby show perspective. And then, um, you know, some rappers that I really like, Kanye West, like college is when he started sort of tipping down. And so like the idols that I had, if you will, like were crumbling. And so there's examples of men, I was like, I don't have one. So like I had to sort of reconstruct what it is to be a man. Yeah. I think that uh, for all of the emphasis on the idea that, that history is dominated by male narratives and there's there's all this different, you know, sort of overbearingness, um, particularly in Christianity, I feel like we've actually done a great disservice to men. I think, I think it's getting harder. I think it's getting harder in a lot of, uh, especially our, our traditional circles, to be a man because there was a time when it was acceptable to be a provider in sort of a stoic sense, like as long as you were providing the kind of life and advantage for your family, then no one really got onto you about how good you were at parenting or how helpful you were, how present you were in the home. But if, um, but then, you know, we started saying, oh, wait, no, they also need to be really present as fathers. And so it's like, oh, but, but still work really hard and give them every advantage. Um, and, but also be present, but also, you know, be sure to take care of your wife and, you know, be attentive to her. And what about date night and, you know, your kids and like, all, and I feel like, oh my gosh, like, like, I feel like in some ways what, what has been used by the Proverbs 31 woman, like having to be like all these things all the time without exception, we've started doing to men, but in this ever sort of escalating narrative, um, of, of you have to do it all. You have to do it all. Oh, but you also still have to be all the traditional things we've always expected of you. Um, and I think that, that that it's gotten to a place where we haven't done enough to acknowledge the disservice we've been doing to our our men by by just letting this narrative run rampant instead of saying, wait, what does it actually mean to be a man who is who is looking to image Christ? Like, like getting back to that essential narrative, getting back to what does it truly mean to be a good man? Because I, I, again, we start creating some of these rules. Like I know coming out of some of the, some of the folks you mentioned, there's these ideas like a stay at home dad is this, 
you know, abomination and there's, you know, all these other things that we, it's all these rules, all these hoops to have to jump through, um, depending on who you're listening to. Um, and so, uh, so I think it's that, that has to, to be tough. Do you think, do you think Adam that, um, men are feeling that pressure and especially in churches? And if, if so, do you think they're talking about it or is that, is that kind of what you were hoping to kind of bring that safe space for is for guys to be able to actually finally open up. Yeah, I think there's, is like, I think as rough as it was, I think me too has pushed there's still wider culture um, in a lot of good direction and people are having to wrestle with a lot, um, particularly men. And I think in the, the Christian circle, like all those traditional things of like, this is what a man is. Even in just some of my church contexts, I've seen men that I've had the privilege of being in community with, like there's just in conversation we've had feel like, oh, I'm less of a man because, you know, me and my wife are struggling to have children right now. Or, you know, I am a stay-at-home dad. I make, you know, $60,000 a year doing tech stuff, but like I stay at home, you know, and just wrestling with those things and having to like process that and then actually sit back and say like, these things are like in some ways trivial. Like I think the, the feelings people have can be real. Um, I think we have to like step back and process like why are people, like what's making you have those feelings? And nine times out of 10, I feel like it's some like exterior thing that's being pushed upon you. Like you're not a man if you don't leave the home and do all this stuff or, you know, providing financially and then also, you know, being able to provide children. Um, and so, yeah. I. I think it, it has gotten hard, but I think the conversation has been open. So now people are having the open dialogue. And so I, at least in my context, I feel like I've had a lot of healthy conversations. Um, Adam, let me ask you this, because I know that um, you're now serving in a different context, uh, especially very different from the context here at Barry. And you see young men who are coming up in uh, the area of Greensboro where you where you teach and where you live and serve. Um when it comes to this idea of biblical manhood or what it means to be a man, how, what are the differences or how is, how has that environment shaped your understanding of what you're hoping for the younger generation that you work with when it comes to bringing them up in this idea of what it, what it means to be a man? Yeah. I, I, there's a, a level of when I left Barry and was no longer doing men's ministry. I was like, man, that was great. That was a great season. Like it was good processing. And I kind of thought like I wouldn't have to really interact with that sort of like thinking in day to day. Um, but I definitely do in my work. Um, and so um, most of the students I teach um, look like me. Majority of them are young women, but uh, we do have, you know, a handful of young men. Um, and I love getting to teach them. It's a lot of fun. Um, some of them uh, just have particular challenges in their life, uh, whether it just be economically or home challenges, you know, just an array of things um, that they bring into the classroom. Uh, some of them without fathers. And I think I, I also have to, I am having to unpack some of those things too, of like, oh, this male child acts this way. He must not have ex-parent at home and like some of those things are not true uh, and so having to unpack sort of those like you know masculine things that we put on men um, and then also to realizing like okay I am their male teacher 
uh, it looks like them. Um, and I am playing a, a very important role. And I, I take that with like the highest regard. Um, if you just look at statistics, like there are not a lot of black male teachers. And um, yeah, and so just being able to look and say, what, what would I have wanted when I was their age? Like, what would I have wanted someone to tell me? Whether it's a teacher or a role model. And obviously like I have to discern like what is appropriate for me being a teacher and when we're at school. Um, but it is the beauty of being a, a Christian school. And so uh, sometimes we do discipleship groups. And so this year my group is cool. The last year I just had guys. Um, and so it actually like opened the door just for like, you know, really like in-depth conversations, just about like all sorts of things. I remember actually, this is funny because they're were fifth graders. And so sometimes you're like, what do fifth graders really know? Um, but I remember when um, Nipsey Hussle, I don't know if you guys know who that is, but Nipsey Hussle, died last year and they kind of came over just like asking a lot of questions um about like oh like why do you have to die or like just just speaking about like, violence and sorts of things i think things that like we tend to especially at that age you just are like kind of innate and in boys and then and be able to like kind of you know not necessarily make the change like that but like planting seeds of like you can be just as masculine as the next guy but you don't have to respond this way or think this way or even like little things of, you know, the typical like middle school, like middle school boy says something to middle school girl and be like, like, let me tell you why, like in the long run, like that's like a really unhealthy pattern. And you, you think it's just you saying this thing now, but like, I'm, I'm telling you, like it can become this thing. And again, every now and then it doesn't click because they're, they're kids, but there have been moments where I can see like the light bulb and go, huh, that's interesting. Like it just... A lot of people just don't have those conversations, you know? Yeah, that's great. And we're glad that you're asking those questions. Um, gosh. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to kind of throw out a loaded thing here, but I really do. This is, this is something that is uh, pertinent to our discussions of feminism as well. But um, I know that there was a time when, uh, hip hop artists like, like Lecrae was sort of deconstructing some of the colonized white voices that have spoken into his own developmental ideas about Christianity. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I was wondering even specific to this topic and how you understand, um, what it means to be a man and, and thinking back on the, the voices that have influenced that, how race and, uh, and, in the discussion of manhood plays a factor, where would you say are some of the, some of the points of deconstruction or what are some things that people may not be thinking about when they think about this discussion as it comes from white um, or non-white uh, perspectives? I think the first point is just the, the beautiful sociology term that was coined by Du Bois, just double consciousness, right? Like I think yeah. when you're having these conversations for any, minority group in this case specifically um black people there there's just there's you know whether there's the sexism that women experience or you know these things in men experience and then you like have to add other stuff on top of that and so yeah i think i similar it's weird i feel like as lecrae and his career has processed stuff like i like i don't think it's coincidental i think the holy spirit has done some clever like moving like I am also processing at the same time the music has actually been uh really therapeutic at times because I think his album that came out in like 20 
17, all things work together. It was really funny um, because on one of his albums that came out 20, 2005, I think, um, Mark Driscoll is like on an opening track and then doing some of the like, uh, you know, like bravado man stuff. And then in 2017, he's got the Kimini And I was like, mm. man, like that shift is like, it was like night and day. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, I think just, yeah, I think double consciousness. And I think, yeah, I think that was it for me. Like, I think when I just got in college, I think in a place like Barry, which like I, I love and was great and I don't regret any parts of it. Um, but you're just, you're processing like who you are. And I think I was, I had, I had just begun, like really started processing, like what did it mean to be a black male, particularly like a, a black Christian male, because working in chaplain's office, like I was already labeled yeah. a Christian guy. And so like sort of processing those two identities. And I've, I mean, Aaron can attest like pretty quickly. I was like these voices that I kind of had like developed my, uh, helped develop my Christian identity. Like I was not really I was kind of running from them. I was like, I need something else that like nourishes like all of me. Um, and, you know, it's not to say like white brothers can't have great theology. They do. They do. There's lots of them that do. Um, but I was just, I was needing something that I like, spoke to again to like my whole identity and my experience and existence. Um, so, yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that. And And I think it's, Yes, to you, to your point, it's like all these different voices contribute different things. But I think it's important for us to recognize in these conversations, especially about gender theology, that there's more than just it's not a men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing. It's not just about the divide of the genders. There are all these other intersections that are involved. And if we're not willing to recognize that there are discussions that have been colonized or hijacked or the way that they're affecting um, us, uh, then, then we're doing a disservice to the conversation. So I appreciate you letting us just get some insights there because I know it's it's been it continues to be a journey for you, trying to um, understand and deconstruct um, mm -hmm. some of of these voices and how they play into this discussion. So appreciate that. Yeah. What? So in that journey, I would I'd love to talk a little bit more about that if we can, um, if you're comfortable doing that. I w I would love to know like what um, either this could either be like what voices were super helpful for you in that, or like what were the things that like the Holy spirit used to really, um, free you or empower you in that. So I think the shift really started. I really, um, it's still is a great podcast, but past the mic was sort of my sort of, I don't know, moving away from like the desiring God websites to, um, sort of more like black theology. I think also too, like really owning that, like like I grew up in the black church, like that also formed my theology. And mm. just because these blogs or these writers have, like are not talking about it in the slightest, like does not discredit it at all. Um, and that has been like, I think a longer journey, but um, just working through that. And so then that also made me like started to think through like, okay, like just thinking of sitting in service at my home church or like services at my grandma and I'm like women are like leaning left and right and so then I was like <laughs> all right like so the, this this can like there's something going on here um and I remember the point I think that really sort of pushed me into uh the topics that you guys really discuss particularly from uh like with the racial lens is uh, I was reading a book secular book but it's a great book and I would recommend it for anyone um, it's a book called Invisible Man Got the Whole World Watching, um, which is a lyric by Most Deaf, but is a play on of 
the book uh, by Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man. Um, it's by Michael Denzel Smith. And one of the chat, the whole book is basically like he's writing to his 17 year old self. So basically like what would he have wanted to tell his self uh, growing up black in America? And he has a chapter um, and the, the book is beautiful because they like, they don't, he doesn't tell you what the chapters are about. They're just like numbered. So you kind of get to them and you're like slapped on the face of this truth. Um, but there's a chapter specifically on like, like hearing women's voices and not even like just hearing it, like seeking it. And he's just lying. Like it just, it literally like gutted me. I had to like stop reading for a minute. Um, he's like, you're not like, there's no way you can be a man. Like if you're not hearing or learning from women's voices. And he just gave this like beautiful, like black men are always told to read like Dr. King, Malcolm X, Ralph Ellison, like James Baldwin, all these great people. And that's good. But he's like, the men are never told go to read Zora Neale Hurston, go read Bill Hooks, go read, um, you know, Ida B. Wells, all, all these great voices. And he's like, you're, you're losing part of your black identity. Like you're missing a whole section of it if you're not learning from them. And so I was like, all right, I need to finish this book. And I literally remember, because I think this is the summer of like 2016 or 2017, I went to the library and it was great. It was the summer, no one was in there. And I just was like pulling books left and right um, and just started reading and like just was having yeah, I remember the first book I read was by Alice Walker. Man, the title just slipped my head. Oh, In Search of Our Mother's Gardens. That's what it's called. Oh, yeah. It's and so good. Yeah, like, I, like that book, like, it just did a lot of work. And so then I think that, like, kind of pushed me to sort of seek um, theological voices um, from a women's perspective as well. And so, yeah, that was sort of the, my journey with that. And then yeah, I'm, I'm still learning and walking. Uh, again, the majority of the students I teach are young women. And so I'm also confronted too, like what, what are the biases that I have um, and just sorts of things. It's still like having to work and learn, um, but yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, you were the one that first introduced me to the Truth Table podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I mean, I'm still listening. They just started, I think, their fourth season and, and are killing it. For those of you who don't know, listeners, uh, for those interested in this topic um, of gender theology and are looking for um, voices that are helping decolonize <laughs> these ideas, I recommend uh, the the Truth Table podcast. Um, it's built by black women for black women. So I'm in the standing room only section, but I am learning. I am learning um things that that had never crossed my mind um and this is such an important lesson uh that has been passed on to me through white feminism Mm. is that we have been um consistently bad about this and about leaving friends of color behind in these discussions so um so i just want to give a little shout to that and I, i i mean you were the one that that you came in that one day and you were like you have to listen to this. this yeah. Is so, good. so I, they were just kind of, I'm a, I'm a Twitter guy. And so I had followed all three of them like separately before the podcast. And I remember the day one of them tweeted, and I was like, this is like, it was all right. I already knew it was going to be great. But yeah, it, that is, I would recommend that podcast like to the umpteenth time. It is, it is great. And even for me, like as a black male, like I'm still like learning a lot just from listening to them. Um, which again, like the Lord has kind of put me on that journey too. Cause I don't think I ever would have walked into college and be like, Oh, I'm sexist. Like, or I walk in patriarchy. Like I think a lot of us, especially assuming people that listen to this, like don't 
fall into that category, but like, I think we have to be willing to sort of come to the table. And what I love about the, the I'm in Anglican right now, and so, uh, in the tradition of like just confessing, like what, what, like mm -hmm. spending time in thinking and processing, like what have I done wrong? Um, and so, yeah. No, that's, that's so powerful. That's so great. I, I think the lesson we continue to learn is that all of these different aspects of ourselves contain idols in, in the search for mutuality and the search for um, relationships that are built around the example of Christ that are healthy and for the flourishing of our communities embedded in all of these things there, there are these ugly parts that we have to, we have to call out and we have to be able to, to put, and there's no shame in that. In fact, our, our, Christian tradition gives us great avenues for confession and lament and repentance. And so, so we're free, we're free to, to do this. Um, and I don't, we don't have to protect them. We don't have to, you know, um, find ways to, uh, to compromise in our language about this. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, that's a challenge to all of us, uh, as we continue these discussions that there's no really one great, perfect, right perspective that isn't tainted by our fallen humanity. So men, women, ethnicities, races, we all have something to learn. For sure. Uh, I'd love to circle back maybe to um, a question regarding like the books you were reading and the podcast you were listening to. I know um, there's probably some listeners that um, either grew up in a tradition or maybe are continuing, continuing to be in a tradition um, that holds scripture really highly, which is awesome and really important but i think a and at least for me something i inherited in that was a um, almost a fear to seek out other voices because that somehow undermines the voice of scripture i wonder if you could um speak to maybe how other voices help us read or reread scripture um and maybe um how like how this has formed you spiritually as well um in that yeah so i'm from my teacher hat on and i'm always encouraging kids to read, even as their science teacher, I think reading is like one of, if not the greatest way you can learn. Um, mm -hmm. But I think in, from a scriptural standpoint, like I think the more you read, you're able to sort of pick up on different like literary devices or the way people are writing, um, you know, you just, it's, I don't know, you're easy to pick up on those things. And so I'm the same way, like I just grew up like, oh, scripture, scripture, scripture. Scripture is great. Old scripture to that, but the highest regard. But there are like different ways to like sit and unpack, or um, there are different writers that are writing in different ways. I think even the Gospels are a great example, right? Like the three of Gospels are Gospels are written in different ways, and so um, yeah, I think just the more you read, whether that be secular, or even like you can pick up theological books or fiction. Yeah. Fiction, um, I think just in general, just just read. And then uh, I think that will help you process scripture. I think also like our God is a God of words. And so I think even if you're reading something that is secular, like you, I can still encounter God in that. Mm -hmm. And I know for some people that like is controversial and I totally understand that. I think I was there at one point, um, but yeah, like, and even during this, this is like not as kind of tangential, but, like, I have encountered God in some of the weirdest ways during this, like, quarantine time. One of the, the craziest ones to me is I was taking care of the school garden by myself because no one's there. And um, there was this, we, we planted a fig tree last year. 
and this was like during the season of Lent too, right around the end of it. And the fig tree started to like, starting to bloom a little bit. So it's got leaves and some of the figs are starting to come in. And, and just immediately I saw it and I thought back to an encounter I had with a, a fifth grade student like two or three months ago where I had them, you know, water it just because it had been dry. And she's like, why are we watering this thing? It's dead. And I was literally like, mm. the Lord just like really spoke to me in that moment of like, we're in the season of, of dying and we're in the wilderness. And it felt really heavy this year because of just, everything that's going on in the world. And I don't know when we're going to come out of this quarantine, but I like literally could look at that picture even today, like I picked strawberries and I'm like really getting goosebumps as I'm telling you this, like, like there is going to be like, I don't even say there's fruit, but like we're going to bloom and we're going to come out of it. And like, even if we don't like the Lord is still good. And he, like he has mm-hmm. told us that truth. Um, and I think like, to me, that's also comforting in these kind of conversations, right? Like if the, the, the Lord is sure, like he is going to, provide and bring us through and so like just just walk with him in this journey like even if you're you're timid or you're scared or you don't really you're confused and you don't know like just like walk with the lord and like he will will carry you through it could be a long journey it could be a quick journey i don't know like i'll let him decide that but like i i do know that like he will be with me on that journey Mm. amen ah god i love that Okay, Adam, we're we're starting to to get close to the wrap up here, but I I wanted to ask you, what is something related to either um, the early discussions of biblical manhood or even toxic masculinity in general that is like something that you're like, if I could just tell people this one thing, they need to just mm-hmm. leave behind in this discussion. Like, what do we need to just drop when it comes to talking about biblical manhood that is toxic and not helpful, and then it bookend that with um, what gives you hope about this discussion of biblical manhood and, and what it means to be a man um, in Christ. So what do we leave behind? What do we grab hold of? At least for me, I'll speak from my personal perspective. Yeah. I think what felt very toxic to me was I was trying to, I felt like bonded or like held back by these things that I was trying to achieve. Because I think also I just realized like, that's like, that's not me. Like, I'm not going to go be a businessman. Like I have I could very easily see myself being a stay-at-home dad one day, writing curriculum or something like that, or just all these different things. But I felt like, well, like if I do that, like I'm not following my biblical mandate, using air quotes here. Um, but like, like, we are free in Christ. Like, mm. This goes like outside of just this conversation, but I'm free. Like I'm free to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. I think there's like this weird stereotype, like a men that garden. Like I think farming is this thing, but gardening them. That's more like a like no, like I'm free, I can garden, and it's just as good. Like, and the Lord like delights in that. If if I'm doing it mm-hmm. for His kingdom, like He delights in that. And again, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. we could just do like literally whatever we want to do. Um, like there are consequences, and you know there's sin, but also like we're free. Like we're gonna mess up too. You know, like there might be a season where I I choose the wrong path, but you know what? Like the Lord forgives, and I'm free. And I know that again, like mm-hmm. that's a hard like statement to chew on, but I don't know. That's kind of been the thing for me that has just allowed me to, I don't know, like engage things that I think I wouldn't have engaged, particularly when it comes to this, like this concept of mutuality. It's like, I'm, I'm free to like process this and think and have conversations and think like, okay, like I'm going to get married one day and I might not bring in the most money or you know, whatever. My wife might discipline my kids from a time or two, or maybe discipline them every time. But like, 
I, I'm free. Yes. Mm. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Oh gosh, Adam, this has been so great. I wish we could, we could go on and on. There's so much, so many more things. I, I would love to just dive in with you. I, I miss, I miss having you here in all of our discussions. It's, it's just been so great to have you on the podcast today. Um, we've been asking everybody who's been on this question. So, um, we'd love for you to just to give a shout to somebody that you recommend to our listeners that has been a real, uh, influence on you like theologically like who's been uh someone that has really enhanced just your journey doesn't have to have anything to do with gender theology could be an author could be a speaker an artist who had an impact on you that you would recommend to our listeners yeah uh so recently i've been reading a lot of Esau mccully um and mm. kind of a, a personal connection there but he has been doing some really important writing i think in a lot of different arenas just on theology i think on the topic of mutuality on the topic of race and yeah just been his work has been really refreshing to to read oh yeah as his his new book coming out uh reading scripture while black i'm really looking forward to that i'm stoked about it it comes out november 17th (laughs) reading while black african-american biblical interpretation as an exercise in hope yes love it Love it. Well, I'm so excited. Oh, gosh, Adam, it has been so good to talk to you today, friend. Um, thank you so much for taking time to come with us on the podcast. Um, uh, we would like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast platform you use. Uh, we always appreciate you connecting with us um, and connecting us to other listeners. Uh, oh, also, we love your feedback. We're, we're, we're here for it. Um, so I am Aaron Monez, my co-host Blake Dean, and of course our fabulous producer, Bailey Dingley, and we are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening.